chapter eleven part two of the bronze eagle by baroness orksey this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah before she had reached the foot of the stairs he was already by her side and with a masterful hand upon her arm had compelled her by physical strength to turn and to face him once more crystal he said forcing himself to speak quietly even though his voice quivered with excitement and passionate wrath as you say i have only a few moments to spare but they are just long enough for me to tell you that it is you who are mad i dare say that it is difficult to believe in the immensity of a disaster maurice de st genis no doubt has been filling your ears with tales of the allied army's victories but look at me crystal look at me and tell me if you have ever seen a man more in deadly earnest i tell you that i am on my way to aid the emperor in reforming his empire on a more solid basis than it has ever stood before have you ever known napoleon to fail in what he set himself to do i tell you that he is not crushed that he is not even defeated within a month the allies will be on their knees begging for peace the era of your bourbon kings is more absolutely dead to-day than it has ever been and after to-day there will be nothing for a royalist like your father or like maurice de st genis but exile and humiliation more dire than before your father's fate rests entirely in your hands i can direct his destiny his life or his death just as i please when you are my wife i will forgive him the insults which he heaped on me at brestelow but not before as for maurice de st genis and what of him you abominable cur the shout which came from behind him checked the words on de marmont's lips he let go his hold of crystal's arm as he felt two sinewy hands gripping him by the throat the attack was so swift and so unexpected that he was entirely off his guard he lost his footing upon the slippery floor and before he could recover himself he was being forced back and back until his spine was bent nearly double and his head pressed down backward almost to the level of his knees let him go maurice you might kill him throw him out of the door it was monsieur le comte de cambray who spoke he and st genis had arrived just in time to save crystal from a further unpleasant scene she however had not lost her presence of mind she had certainly listened to de marmont's final tirade because she knew that she was helpless in his hands but she had never been frightened for a moment jean was within call and she herself had never been timorous at the same time she was thankful enough that her father and st genis were here maurice was almost blind with rage he would have killed de marmont but for the comte's timely words which luckily had the effect of sobering him at this critical moment he relaxed his convulsive grip 
on de marmont's throat but the latter had already lost his balance he fell heavily his body sliding along the slippery floor while his head struck against the projecting woodwork of the door he uttered a loud cry of pain as he fell then remained lying inert on the ground and in the dim light his face took on an ashen hue in an instant crystal was by his side you have killed him maurice she cried as woman-like tender and full of compassion now she ran to the stricken man i hope i have said st genis sullenly he deserved the death of a cur father dear said crystal authoritatively will you call to jean to bring water a sponge towels quickly also some brandy she paid no heed to st genis and she had already forgotten de marmont's dastardly attitude toward herself she only saw that he was helpless and in pain she knelt by his side pillowed his head on her lap and with soothing gentle fingers felt his shoulders his arms to see where he was hurt he opened his eyes very soon and encountered those tender blue eyes so full of sweet pity now it is only my head i think he said then he tried to move but fell back again with a groan of pain my leg is broken i am afraid he murmured feebly i had best fetch a doctor rejoined monsieur le comte if you can find one father dear said crystal monsieur de marmont ought to be moved at once to his home no no protested victor feebly not home to the troy roy the diligence i must go to england to-night the emperor's orders the doctor will decide said crystal gently father dear will you go jean came back with water and brandy de marmont drank eagerly of the one and then sipped the other i must go he said more firmly the diligence starts at nine o'clock again he tried to move and a great cry of agony rose to his throat not of physical pain though that was great too but the wild agonizing shriek of mental torment of disappointment and wrath and misery greater than human heart could bear the emperor's orders he cried i must go crystal was silent there was something great and majestic something that compelled admiration and respect in this tragic impotence this failure brought about by uncontrolled passion at the very hour when success perhaps might yet have changed the whole destinies of the world de marmont lying here helpless to aid his emperor through the furious and jealous attack of a rival was at this moment more worthy of a good woman's regard than he had been in the flush of his success and of his arrogance for his one thought was of the emperor and what he could no longer do for him he tried to move and could not the emperor's orders came at times with pathetic persistence from his lips and crystal woman-like tried to soothe and comfort him in his failure even though his triumph would only have aroused her scorn and time sped on from the towers of the cathedral came booming the hour of nine the shadows in the narrow street were long and dark 
only a pale thin reflex of the cold light of the moon struck into the open doorway and the white corridor and detached de marmont's pale face from the surrounding gloom the emperor's orders and because of a woman these could now no longer be obeyed if de marmont had not seen crystal on the cathedral steps if he had not followed her if he had not allowed his passion and arrogant self-will to blind him to time and to surroundings who knows but the whole map of europe might yet have been changed a fortune in london was awaiting a gambler who chose to stake everything on a last throw a fortune wherewith the greatest adventurer the world has ever known might yet have reconstituted an army and reconquered an empire and he who might have won that fortune was lying in the narrow corridor of an humble lodging-house with a broken leg helpless and eating out his heart now with vain regret why because of a girl with fair curls and blue eyes just a woman young and desirable another tiny pawn in the hands of the great master of this world's game the rain in the morning at waterloo blucher's arrival or grouchy's a man's selfish passion for a woman who cared nothing for him who shall dare to say that these tiny trivial incidents changed the destinies of the world think on it o oh, ye materialists ye worshippers of chance it is indeed the infinitesimal doings of pygmies that bring about the great upheavals of the earth do ye not rather see god's will in that fall of rain god's breath in those dying heroes who fell on mont st jean do ye not recognize that it was god's finger that pointed the way to blucher and stretched de marmont down helpless on the ground the arrival of monsieur le comte de cambray accompanied by a doctor and two men carrying an improvised stretcher broke the spell of silence that had fallen on this strange scene of pathetic failure which seemed but an humble counterpart of that great and irretrievable one which was being enacted at this same hour far away on the road to Gnapp. after the booming of the cathedral clock de marmont had ceased to struggle he accepted defeat probably because he too in spite of himself saw that the day of his idol's destiny was over and that the brilliant star which had glittered on the firmament of europe for a quarter of a century had by the will of god now irretrievably declined he had accepted crystal's ministrations for his comfort with a look of gratitude jean had put a pillow to his head and he now lay outwardly placid and quiescent even perhaps for such is human nature and such the heart of youth as he saw crystal's sweet face bent with so much pity toward him a sense of hope of happiness yet to be chased the more melancholy thoughts away crystal was kind he argued to himself she has already forgiven 
women are so ready to forgive faults and errors that spring from an intensity of love he sought her hand and she gave it just as a sweet sister of mercy and gentleness would do for whom the individual man even the enemy does not exist only the suffering human creature whom her touch can soothe he persuaded himself easily enough that when he pressed her hand she returned the pressure and renewed hope went forth once more soaring upon the wings of fancy then the doctor came Monsieur le comte had been fortunate in securing him had with impulsive generosity promised him ample payment and then brought him along without delay he praised mademoiselle de cambray for her kindness to the patient asked a few questions as to how the accident had occurred and was satisfied that Monsieur de marmont had slipped on the tiled floor and then struck his head against the door he was not likely to examine the purple bruises on the patient's throat his business began and ended with a broken leg to mend as Monsieur le comte de cambray assured him that Monsieur de marmont was very wealthy the worthy doctor most readily offered his patient the hospitality of his own house until complete recovery he then superintended the lifting of the sick man on to the stretcher and having taken final leave of Monsieur le comte mademoiselle and all those concerned and given his instructions to the bearers he was the first to leave the house Monsieur le comte pleasantly conscious of christian duty toward an enemy nobly fulfilled nodded curtly to de marmont whom he hated with all his heart and then turned his back on an exceedingly unpleasant scene fervently wishing that it had never occurred in his house and equally fervently thankful that the accident had not more fateful consequences he retired to his smoking-room calling to st genis and to crystal to follow him but crystal did not go at once she stood in the dark corridor quite still watching the stretcher-bearers in their careful silent work little guessing on what a filmy thread her whole destiny was hanging at this moment the fates were spinning 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 and she did not know it had the solemn silence which hung so ominously in the twilight not been broken till after the sick man had been borne away the whole of crystal's future would have been shaped differently but as with the rain at waterloo god had need of a tool for the furtherance of his will and it was maurice de st genis whom he chose maurice who with his own words set the final seal to his destiny de marmont's eyes as he was being carried over the threshold dwelt upon the graceful form of crystal clad all in white all womanliness and gentleness now her sweet face only faintly distinguishable in the gloom st genis whose nerves were still jarred with all that he had gone through to-day and irritated by crystal's assiduity beside the sick man resented that last look of farewell 
which de marmont dared to throw upon the woman whom he loved an ungenerous impulse caused him to try and aim a last moral blow at his enemy come crystal he said coldly the man has been better looked after than he deserves but for your father's interference i should have wrung his neck like the cowardly brute that he was and with the masterful air of a man who has both right and privilege on his side he put his arm round crystal's waist and tried to draw her away and as he did so he whispered a tender come crystal in her ear de marmont who at this moment was taking a last fond look at the girl he loved and was busy the while making plans for a happy future wherein crystal would play the chief role and would console him for all disappointments by the magnitude of her love de marmont was brought back from the land of dreams by the tender whisperings of his rival his own helplessness sent a flood of jealous wrath surging up to his brain the wild hatred which he had always felt for st genis ever since that awful humiliation which he had suffered at brestolo now blinded him to everything save to the fact that here was a rival who was gloating over his helplessness a man who twice already had humiliated him before crystal de cambray a man who had every advantage of caste and of community of sympathy a man therefore who must be in his turn irretrievably crushed in the sight of the woman whom he still hoped to win de marmont had no definite idea as to what he meant to do perhaps just at this moment the pale intangible shadow of reason had lifted up one corner of the veil that hid the truth from before his eyes the absolute and naked fact that crystal de cambray was not destined for him she would never marry him never the empire of france was no more the emperor was a fugitive to st genis and his caste belonged the future and the turn had come for the adherents of the fallen emperor to sink into obscurity or to go into exile be that as it may it is certain that in this fateful moment de marmont was only conscious of an all-powerful overwhelming feeling of hatred and the determination that whatever happened to himself he must and would prevent st genis from ever approaching crystal de cambray with words of love again that he had the power to do this he was fully conscious crystal he called and at the same time ordered the bearers to halt on the doorstep for a moment crystal will you give me your hand in farewell the young girl would probably have complied with his wish but st genis interposed crystal he said authoritatively your father has already called you you have done everything that christian charity demands and once more he tried to draw the young girl away do not touch her man called de marmont in a loud voice a coward like you has no right to touch the hand of a good woman monsieur de marmont broke in crystal hotly you presume on your helplessness pay no heed to the ravings of a maniac crystal 
interposed st genis calmly he has fallen so low now that contemptuous pity is all that he deserves and contempt without pity is all that you deserve monsieur le marquis de st genis cried de marmont excitedly ask him mademoiselle crystal ask him where is the man who to-day saved his life whom i myself saw to-day on the roadside wounded and half dead with fatigue on horseback with the inert body of monsieur de st genis lying across his saddle-bow ask him how he came to lie across that saddle-bow and whether his english friend and mine bobby clifford did not as any who passed by could guess drag him out of that hell at waterloo and bring him into safety whilst risking his own life ask him he continued working himself up into a veritable fever of vengeful hatred as he saw that st genis sullen and glowering was doing his best to drag crystal away to prevent her from listening further to this awful indictment these ravings of a lunatic half distraught with hate ask him where is clifford now to what lonely spot he has crawled in order to die while monsieur le marquis de st genis came back in gay apparel to court mademoiselle crystal de cambray ah monsieur de st genis you tried to heap opprobrium upon me you talked glibly of contempt and of pity of a truth tis i do pity you now for mademoiselle crystal will surely ask you all those questions and by the lord i marvel how you will answer them he fell back exhausted in a dead faint no doubt and st genis with a wild cry like that of a beast in fury seized the nearest weapon that came to his hand a heavy oak chair which stood against the wall in the corridor and brandished it over his head he would had not crystal at once interposed have killed de marmont with one blow even so he tried to avoid crystal in order to forge for himself a clear passage to free himself from all trammels so that he might indulge his lust to kill take the sick man away quickly cried crystal to the stretcher-bearers and they realizing the danger the awfulness of the tragedy which with that clumsy weapon wielded by a man who was maddened with rage was hovering in the air hurried over the threshold with their burden as fast as they could then out into the street and crystal seizing hold of the front door shut it to with a loud bang after them then with a cry that was just primitive in its passion savage almost like that of a lioness in the desert who has been robbed of her young she turned upon st genis where is he now she called and her voice was quite unrecognizable harsh and hoarse and peremptory crystal let me assure you protested maurice that i have already done all that lay in my power where is he now she broke in with the same fierce intensity she stood there before him wild haggard palpitating a passionate creature passionately demanding to know 
where the loved one was it seemed as if she would have torn the words out of st genesis's throat so bitter and intense was the look of contempt and of hatred wherewith she looked on him Monsieur le comte very much upset and ruffled by all that he had heard came out of his room just in time to see the stretcher-bearers disappearing with their burden through the front door and the door itself closed too with a bang by crystal truly his sense of decorum and of the fitness of things had received a severe shock and now he had the additional mortification of seeing his beautiful daughter his dainty and aristocratic crystal in a state bordering on frenzy my darling crystal he exclaimed as he made his way quickly to her side and put a restraining hand upon her arm but crystal was now far beyond his control she shook off his hand she paid no heed to him she went closer up to st genis and once more repeated her ardent passionate query where is he now at the english hospital i hope said st genis with as much cool dignity as he could command have i not assured you crystal that i've done all i could at the english hospital you hope she retorted in a voice that sounded trenchant and shrill through the overwhelming passion which shook and choked it in her throat but the roadside where you left him to die in a ditch perhaps like a dog that has no home where was that i gave full directions at the english hospital he replied i arranged for an ambulance to go and find him for a bed for him i give me those directions she commanded on the way to waterloo on the left side of the road close by the six kilometer milestone the angle of the forest of saunier is just there and there is a meadow which joins the edge of the wood where they were making hay to-day no driver can fail to find the place crystal the ambulance but now she was no longer listening to him she had abruptly turned her back on him and made for the door her father interposed what do you want to do crystal he said peremptorily go to him of course she said quietly for she was quite calm now at any rate outwardly strong and of set purpose but you do not know where he is i'll go to the english hospital first father dear will you let me pass crystal said monsieur le comte firmly as he stood his ground between his daughter and the door you cannot go rushing through the streets of brussels alone at this hour of the night through all the soldiery and all the drunken rabble he is dying she retorted and i am going to find him you have taken leave of your senses crystal said the comte sternly you seem to have forgotten your own personal dignity father let me go she demanded for she had tried to measure her physical strength against his and he was holding her wrists now whilst a look of great anger was on his face i tell you crystal he said that you cannot go i will do all that lies in my power in the matter i promise you and maurice he added harshly if he has a spark of manhood left in him 
will do his best to second me but i cannot allow my daughter to go into the streets at this hour of the night but you cannot prevent your sister from doing as she likes here broke in a tart voice from the back of the corridor crystal child try and bear up while i run to the english hospital first and if necessary to the english doctor afterwards and you monsieur my brother be good enough to allow jean to open the door for me and madame la duchesse d'agen in bonnet and shawl helpful and practical made her way quietly to the door preceded by faithful jean with a cry of infinite relief almost of happiness crystal at last managed to disengage herself from her father's grasp and ran to the old woman ma tante she said imploringly take me with you if i do not go to find him now at once my heart will break monsieur le comte shrugged his shoulders and stood aside he knew that in an argument with his sister he would surely be worsted and there was a look in madame's face which even in this dim twilight he knew how to interpret it meant that madame would carry out her programme just as she had stated it and that she would take crystal with her with or without the father's consent so realizing this monsieur le comte had but one course left open to him and that was to safeguard his own dignity by making the best of this situation of which he still highly disapproved well my dear sophie he said i suppose if you insist on having your way you must have it though what the women of our rank are coming to nowadays i cannot imagine at the same time i for my part must insist that crystal at least puts on a bonnet and shawl and does not career about the streets dressed like a kitchen wench crystal whispered madame who was nothing if not practical do as your father wishes it will save a lot of argument and save time as well but even before the words were out of madame's mouth crystal was running along the corridor ready to obey at the foot of the stairs st genis intercepted her let me pass she cried wildly not before you have said that you have forgiven me he entreated as he clung to her white draperies with a passionate gesture of appeal an exclamation which was almost one of loathing escaped her lips and with a jerk she freed her skirt from his clutch then she ran quickly up the stairs outside the door of her own room on the first landing she paused for one minute and from out of the gloom her voice came to him like the knell of passing hope if he comes back alive out of the hell to which you condemned him she said i may in the future endure the sight of you again if he dies may god forgive you the opening and shutting of a door told him that she was gone and he was left in company with his shame End of chapter eleven part two